Hey, welcome to episode number 59 of More Than Bread. My name is Dan Nolden. I'm your host for this podcast. More Than Bread is a podcast that focuses on the value of the Bible, the value of the Word of God for the people of God when the Spirit of God brings it alive. For the last number of episodes, we've been focusing on the Gospel of John, and in this episode, we're focusing on John chapter 14. Now, John 14 through 17 um, is an incredible, incredibly unique portion of the Gospel of John. In many ways, I think it contains some of the most important teachings of Jesus. John 14 through 17 are the words of Jesus. So, So here's what I want you to do for just a few moments before we dive in. I just want you to imagine, wherever you're at, just take a moment, even if you can't close your eyes, and just imagine that you are physically present with Jesus. You're sitting by a fire in a cabin or taking a walk in the afternoon with the the leaves just beginning to turn green, cup of coffee in hand. Imagine that you're walking through a vineyard. It's evening, and you don't know it, but Jesus is sharing his last words before he dies on a cross. Most scholars call these four chapters, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus' farewell discourse. Farewell discourse. To be honest, I think it's anything but his farewell discourse. These are not last words. They are beginning words. Summation words, maybe transition words, definitely, but not last words. This is Jesus' locker room talk before you go out and play the most important game of your life, your 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 boss's promotion challenge. This is your favorite teacher at commencement looking you in the eye and saying, you got this. It's your OBGYN doctor saying, push. It's time to push. Jesus is walking with his friends. And, and as he's walking, he's talking about breakthrough. And in the space of a three-chapter conversation and one a one-chapter prayer, he, he'll hit on multiple themes. But over and over again, he will say this, you will have trouble. There's going to be trouble. This is where Jesus starts. John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. And again, in John 14, 27, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Later in chapter 16, we'll hear Jesus say, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Trouble's coming. There's going to be trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Uh, Now, sometimes we see it coming and sometimes it just slips up on us. But I'm telling you, trouble is coming. Can you relate to those words? Maybe even right now in your life. Once upon a time, it seemed like the sky was the limit, but then trouble entered your world. Uncertainty and chaos, loneliness and broken hopes. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's emotional. The rejection of a friend, a health tragedy, loneliness, marriage on quarantine, depression. You, You find yourself in the middle of trouble, and and life is a bit hard. Listen, Jesus made it clear that this is normal. You will have trouble in the world, he said. All kinds of trouble. You're going to go through circumstances that will cause you to doubt my love and fear what's ahead. You're going to lose friends. The world will hate you, and people will persecute you. The enemy of your souls, the prince of this world, is coming, and there may be opportunities for you to lay down your life for your friends. In fact, some people will think, he says later on, that they're doing God a service by killing you. There's going to be trouble. But listen, he says, don't be afraid. Because we have to go through the trouble to get to the breakthrough. (laughs) We have to have an unsurmountable problem in order to get to the miracle, right? Difficult times are often a catalyst for spiritual growth. 
Listen, John 14 through 17 is not a farewell discourse. It's not Jesus' last words. It's his get ready for opportunity challenge. It's his halftime speech. It's a call to push through, to travail for something new. It's an expectant, hopeful call to a breakthrough. You're going to grieve, he says, but joy is coming. There's going to be trouble, but don't worry. Don't be afraid. I've overcome the world. You'll be persecuted, but I've got your back. Don't give up. Persevere. Now, we understand where Jesus had fixed his eyes. Now we understand. Now we understand that this was the beginning of a three-day story of amazing breakthrough. But listen to me. These words, Jesus' message in John 14 through 17, this message, these words were not just for the days that they came between the cross and the empty tomb. Those three days would set the stage for all the days to come, including our days. We live in those days. Our days are not ultimately shaped by our trouble. They are shaped by the resurrection. Our past may be filled with trouble, but our future is filled with resurrection. Our hearts may be touched by hurt, but they're filled with hope. Breakthrough isn't just coming, it's come. We live in those days. So how do we live into, how do we embrace, dive into those days? Well, I think Jesus gives us the game plan in chapters 14 through 17. So listen as I read John 14 from the New Living Translation. John 14, verse 1, Jesus says to his disciples, walking through that vineyard, these words, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. Uh, These are verses that, that I often quote at funerals. These are verses that are meant to give hope for dark times, but but they're not just for funerals. They're for us today. Do you understand that Jesus is saying, I want to be with you? Jesus is saying, I want you where I am. In fact, not only do I want you where I am, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In Psalm 84, you know what it says? It says that one day in the Father's house is better than a thousand elsewhere. You know, in a typical lifetime, you might live 28 to 30,000 days. But David, the psalmist in Psalm 84 says that, that in value, that's worth about a month. A month of our, a month of days in God's house are worth a, a, a lifetime of our days. This is the place that Jesus is preparing. And you know the way to where I'm going, Jesus said. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not not just my words, not just speaking. It's not just I speak the truth. I know the way. I can point you to life. Jesus says, it's me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Man, don't miss those those words in in verse 7. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. When we know Jesus, we know God the Father. When when we've seen Jesus, we've seen God. The, the, The best way to know who God is is to study the Gospels to see Jesus, to see God in the flesh in action. This is what Jesus is saying. From now on, you know. if you know me, you know the Father. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still do not know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You need to interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I've done. Even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. And you can ask for anything in my name. Now, now notice here, my words, he's not just saying you can ask for anything. You can ask for anything that you want. He's saying you can ask for anything in my name. You can ask for any of the things that I would ask for, anything that I could put my name to. If you ask for that, I will do it, verse 13, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. Now, isn't this interesting? My words again. Isn't this interesting? How Jesus connects love and obedience. See, we we tend to think of love as something freely chosen. I can do whatever. I love you, but I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm not your slave. I'm not your servant. But Jesus intimately connects love with obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's not enough for us to want to be with Jesus we want to we need to want to follow Jesus to to be passionate about Jesus is to follow in his footsteps to follow him to do what he asks us to do the will of god is connected to the love of Jesus verse 16 and i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate the paraclete the holy spirit who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. Again, don't miss those words. He lives with you now. The Holy Spirit was present. There, There was a presence in Jesus that was the presence of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying, but it's going to go from with you to in you. This is amazing intimacy. My presence, Jesus is saying, through the Holy Spirit is going to go from me being with you to being in you. Verse 18, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I'm raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Now Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are we going why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. There's that connection again. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. 
Anyone, verse 24, who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, the paraclete is the Greek word, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything. And he will remind you of everything that I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you again. If you really loved me, you would be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. I've told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. Now, there's so many places that we could focus in on in John 14. I mean, the teaching is so rich and and so relevant to today, but but I can't help but, but focus on Jesus' challenge to pray. I don't know if this is true of you, but I found that many of us struggle to believe that God is a father who loves to bless his kids. That's why I love Jesus teaching on what I call whatever prayers. Now, maybe you're thinking, what are whatever prayers? You mean like whatever? (laughs) That word whatever has become code word for a particular response of life. It's a sigh of resignation, a denial of agreement, or a passive aggressive form of I don't care. When a person says whatever, They're basically saying that the topic doesn't matter, your response doesn't matter, maybe you don't matter. (laughs) When the ladies in my family say whatever, it's usually accompanied by an amazing roll of the eyes. That's like total dismissal. And when we ask Josh, my youngest son, what he wants to eat, whatever, whatever, doesn't mean anything. It means I want you to choose, but choose well. (laughs) I'm not talking about that kind of whatever. Some of you have been uh, around me long enough to know some of the markers on my spiritual journey. One of those markers took place, I don't know, almost 25 years ago. I was at Calvary praying with about a dozen others. We we called our prayer exercise that evening, praying on-site with insight. I I just told everybody, go go somewhere in the building or even somewhere outside and, and pray about whatever God puts on your heart as you look around you. People went outside, people went down into the kids' rooms and and all over the place. That evening, I ended up on the steps of the stage. It had been a difficult few weeks in in that season. I'd had a friend, I'd introduced him to Jesus, counseled him, he'd started working with our youth, and I I thought he was really doing a great job. And and then it all imploded in a really, really bad way. And I found myself just calling out to God that night for a promise that I could hold on to. And while I was praying, this verse reference lit up in my mind like a billboard, John 14, 12 through 14. That, that's all. I, I didn't know the verse that it was responding, that it was referencing. I hadn't been reading in John, so I was a little bit skeptical. I, I don't like to do the, you know, flip the Bible open and put your finger on a page. That's the word of God to me. I, I was a little bit skeptical, but I thought, okay, God, I'll look it up. And here were these words, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will be doing the, will do the works that I've been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. 
Whatever, whatever you ask, you'll do greater things. I mean, what an amazing promise. And, and I know maybe some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Dan, you got to be careful how people take a verse like this. It's like sometimes we want to protect God's fragile reputation or, or protect people from having unreasonably high hopes in God. And so we let our disappointments or our experiences translate this verse to simply mean you might do pretty good stuff, maybe someday, if you kind of believe in Jesus. Or we try to minimize Jesus' words and think, well, Jesus didn't really mean greater things. Nobody can do greater things than Jesus. He just meant, well, he just meant, well, I don't know, but he didn't mean greater things. It's probably something with a Greek, and the word for greater really means not so great. But but for just a few moments, again, jump into the story and 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 write a chapter that puts you there with Jesus and his friends. Place your name on the guest list for the wedding reception where he changed water into wine. Sit on a on a mat at the pool of Bethesda when he made the lame man walk. Be a sailor on the Sea of Galilee the night of the big storm. One minute the wind and waves like you'd never experience. The next minute, dead calm or, or Lazarus. Wow, he, he'd been dead so long he stunk. Jesus prayed and he lived. But that's not all. In fact, those works might not have even been the first ones to come to mind. You were a little bit late, but you were there when he sat by a woman at a well, a woman you wouldn't have given the time of day to. And he, he knew everything about her. And you watched him bring hope to the face of a heart that was as dry as the parched path she walked upon. And you were there occasionally when he prayed. And oh my goodness, it seemed like eternity itself stopped. And and though you couldn't see the Father, you, you could. And, and you knew that here was a man who had found an intimate connection with God. Signs and wonders, miraculous works of grace, compassion fueled by the Holy Spirit's words of knowledge, powerful, life-changing teaching, humble acts of service, a life passionately filled with the presence and the power of God. Tell me, if Jesus looked at you and said, I'm telling you something that's true. Whoever believes in me will do the works which I have done, and even greater works than these will they do because I'm going to my Father. What works would have come to your mind? It wasn't like life was easy with Jesus. Not every ending was a happy ending. And, and yet you sat in the crowd when he spoke and, and heaven seemed to connect with earth and your, your heart expanded. Words like, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Look at my works. In fact, I'll tell you something that is so true. Whoever believes in me, the works that I do, they'll do also. And even greater works because I'm going to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so I can glorify the Father. And, and you recognize as you listen to him, that he's teaching you about prayer. Some amazing kind of prayer that changes stuff, prayer that matters. You say, well, wait a minute, Dan, you have to be careful of the excesses that can come from taking this verse too literally. And, and I agree, wrong interpretations can lead to unhealthy excesses. But what about an excess of prayerlessness, an excess of powerlessness in the church, an excess of, of status quo Christianity, an excess of lack of fame for God? Shouldn't we also be concerned about those excesses? This word, whatever, it shows up in connection to prayer three more times in John 14 through 16, twice in John 15 and once in John 16. Whatever, whatever you ask, ask whatever you want, whatever. <laughs> so, so ask yourself, do I pray like whatever is possible? 
You know, I think in order to pray whatever prayers, we need to be faced with an unsurmountable problem and we need to be fueled by an unsinkable hope. So here's a second question. After do I actually pray like whatever is possible, ask yourself, has my helplessness ever come face to face with God's hopefulness? But see, then helplessness and and hopefulness are woven together by an unquenchable fire for Jesus. It's not enough to have a great problem mixed with great hope and the power of God. There needs to be this, this passion for Jesus, this unquenchable fire for Jesus. How often in John 14 does Jesus talk about love? The people who, who go deeper in prayer are those whose lives are characterized by an unrestrained affection for the Son of God. And that unrestrained affection for Jesus, it's not just time with Jesus, it's time for Jesus. Jesus connects loving him with living for him. In other words, passionate pursuit equals loving obedience. If you keep my commands, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Listen, it's time to pray. I believe there's never been a time when it was more important to pray. And the hard truth is that most Christians don't pray very much. If if you're not a Christian, just checking this out, please forgive us. We we pray at meals and we whisper a prayer in the midst of tough stuff and we say goodnight to God as we crawl into bed. But do we set aside time to go for it, to go all in for prayer? Do we prioritize meeting with others for prayer? Some of you are thinking, come on, Dan, let's not get legalistic about it. We don't, we don't want to make prayer a chore, a duty, a legalistic discipline, and I agree. But I'm also convicted by what John Piper says when he wrote, is prayer a duty? You can call it that. It's a duty the way a scuba diver puts on his air tank before he goes underwater. It's a duty the way pilots listen to air traffic controllers. It's a duty the way soldiers in combat clean their rifles and load their guns. It's a duty the way hungry people eat food. It's a duty the way thirsty people drink water. It's a duty the way a deaf man puts in his hearing aid. It's a duty the way a diabetic takes his insulin. It's a duty the way Pooh Bear looks for honey and pirates look for gold. What would it look like if prayer was a duty like that? for you and I? What would it look like for you to take your prayer life one step deeper this week? There's so much in John chapter 14, as I say after every chapter of John, but let me read it again from the message paraphrase and just listen for the Spirit of God to witness into your heart by the Word of God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, Jesus says, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And you know the place, you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered back, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered back, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. and They will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not, do not, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I, I've told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father. I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, come now, let us leave. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I, I pray that by your Spirit, you would help each and every one of us to understand how very much you love us. You, you've gone to prepare a place for us because you, you want us to be where you are. You want to be with us. Now, I, I pray that we wouldn't see obeying you as a way to earn your love. We could never earn your love. It's just what we do when we love you, when we truly love you. God, would you give us hearts that truly, passionately love Jesus with an unrestrained affection. Uh, Jesus, I I pray for each and every person listening. I just have a a burden on my heart right now for every person listening who's been hurt by the church, who's been hurt by somebody who who calls themselves a Christ follower. We are not perfect. We are so far from perfect, but nothing can separate us from your love. And so I pray that you would pour your love out, that you would pour your love out upon each and every person listening. 
I pray that that love that comes from you and and goes back to you, I pray that that love would would cause us to, to prioritize prayer, that it would cause us to hunger and thirst for prayer, <laughs> what would cause us to not be able to get enough of prayer. Now, I thank you for your grace and your glory. I thank you for how much you pour into us, for each and every person who's going through times of trouble. Pour your peace out upon them. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.